welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome back to the Proper Mental Podcast, or just welcome if this is your first visit. Uh, either way, you are more than welcome. Thank you very much for joining me. This is episode 94, and I'm chatting to Kirsty Eaton, who is the founder of Reach Out for Mental Health, which is a charity that supports individuals who experience suicidal thoughts and provides a safe, confidential and non-clinical space for you to talk to a trained volunteer about anything which may be troubling you. And Kirsty's based down in Essex and she's just doing wonderful things with her charity. And we met a few weeks back uh, when I guested on her podcast. She co-hosts a podcast with Stu Whiffin and it's attached to Reach Out and it's really good. And they asked me to come on for a bit of a chat and it was a lot of fun. And one thing I noticed about Kirsty is that is that we have a lot in common. There's a lot of crossover in our stories. And that's kind of the reason I started podcasting in the first place, really, is that power of relatability, you know, to hear yourself in someone else's story, to know that you are not alone. And Kirsty and I, we just had a lot of sort of aha moments as we were chatting. So I knew she was going to make a good episode. And then when I learned a bit more about Reach Out and what they're doing, I was just blown away by it, really. And I really wanted to get her on to hear all about it because it's kind of like Kirsty has identified a gap in the sort of traditional clinical method of looking after mental health. She's identified this gap and then she set Reach Out up to catch the people that are falling through this gap. So it's great to chat to her and hear all about it. It was really interesting to hear how hard it was for her to set this charity up, the amount of challenge, the amount of red tape, the pushback, the bad attitudes from people within local health healthcare organisations and I think that's important to talk about because when we see these charities it looks like someone just started a Facebook page and people turned up and everything's great but in the background there's so much work that goes into getting something like Reach Out off the ground but when people that are within local healthcare organisations that are supposed to be helping people are getting in the way of someone else who wants to help people that makes no sense to me so it was really fascinating to hear about that from Kirsty's perspective and to hear what she did about it. She had to work really hard to start a charity and to get it off the ground and it's a really good story. So we chat all about that. We talk about Kirsty's own struggle with mental health, kind of where that comes from and what she does about it. We talk about being a natural warrior, which is definitely something me and Kirsty have got in common. We talk a lot about therapy and mental health in general. It's wonderful. I really do feel like Kirsty's onto something with Reach Out. And if you look at the success of like Andy's Man Club and Talk Club and these other wonderful organisations that are working up and down the country reach out to me kind of fits into that bracket but doing something slightly different and you could see it easily could get you know the model of it could get rolled out countrywide so yeah go and check them out i've put a link in the episode notes to kirsty's podcast that she hosts with Stu. there's all sorts of names in the back catalog that you will recognize particularly if you've listened to proper mental for a while gary mansfield's on there nick hogben's on there so yeah start with mine work your way back and if you like what i do you'll really like what they do and go and check them out in all the usual places i think facebook seems to be where they're most active on the social media front there's links in the episode notes as ever you want to get hold of me at proper mental podcast in all the usual places email me by the website that's usually the best way let me know what you think of the show 
Let me know if there's anyone you'd like me to try and get on. Let me know if there's anything you'd like me to talk about, to do differently. I love having a chat. Get in touch. And if you've got two minutes to leave a review for this episode or any others, please do so and know it is very much appreciated. This is episode 94 of The Proper Mental Podcast with Kirsty Eaton from Reach Out for Mental Health. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. We'll do a bit of that this morning, right? We'll do a bit of that. Exactly, this exactly. This is my distraction for this morning. So, and uh, yeah, I'm on a narrow boat. The tide's coming in, and I'm going to go out on the kayak in a bit after our chat. So, oh, wow. You're on a narrow boat? Yeah. Is that your home or? It is. You live on a boat? I do. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. How long have you lived on a boat for? Uh, two months. <laughs> have you really? Yeah. So, you're like new, new to this. Uh, this life at sea. Indeed, yeah. yeah. Wow. How's it going? Yeah. How are you finding it? Yeah, love it. Love it. Um, I don't know if the, uh, yeah, that, that wouldn't have really demonstrated it very well, but I'm on the piss. She's listing seriously. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, I've got to wait for the high tides, like the highest tide that comes in round about the middle of the month, um, which is going to be this weekend. And hopefully I can move her and she'll level out a bit because, yeah, she's, she's very, very pissed. I mean, wow. I don't know if you can. So that's the jetty. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you can see my boat. Gosh, yeah. You can see the angle as well. Yeah. 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 yeah wow. That's, that's how much is listing. So uh, I've got books under my mattress to kind of stop me from rolling out of bed. <laughs> oh, mate. Yeah. You just don't think of those things, right? When you think, oh, what a great idea. Go live on a boat. It, it, yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're on a canal or, um, you know, any other kind of area where you've got that constant flow of water, you're fine um but for here because it's a tidal mooring it only gets wet twice a day and i only float literally about twice a month so but apart from that it's aces yeah yeah how cool is that that's really cool weirdly not the first guest i've had on this podcast who lives on a boat so there you go yeah (laughs) no no i didn't think i'd meet one person who did and now i've met two so you know (laughs) there there you go but i'll do a little intro and we'll dive straight in. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast and my guest this week is Kirsty Eaton. How are you, Maze? I'm good. I'm good. Very oh, excited back today. Oh, super. Well, it's good that it's good that you're good and thank you very much for joining me. And um, we, uh, yeah, it's really nice to see you again. So we met, when did we do your podcast? When was that? About a month ago, maybe? Something like that? Yeah, about that. A month, maybe two months ago. Yeah. 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 So that was, um, that was a really lovely experience. I really enjoyed that. And um, oh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was great to chat. And uh, we kind of, as so I was on to talk about my own journey. And as I was kind of telling that, there seemed to be a lot of kind of aha moments between the two of us. You know, there was a lot of crossover. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to revisit that with you, because I think when we talk about mental health, one of the most sort of empowering to some extent and calming things about these conversations is when you hear some of your experience in someone else's experience. Yeah. No, because you're it's it's lonely, it's scary, you think you're the only one, and then you hear someone say something and you go, That's a bit of me. And it brings a lot of peace, you know. And I really wanted to kind of, if it's all right with you, explore your story a little bit because there's a lot of crossover with mine. Yeah, Um, defo. Let's go for it. Cool. But one thing you did mention, um, obviously my 
mental health problems started around the birth of my son, May 2016. Mm-hmm. And you kind of mentioned that uh, we might be sort of, you know, mental breakdown twins. In we absolutely <laughs> we are, yeah. So was that when you started to experience um, problems with your mental health, Kirsty? Yeah, I think, so I've always, I, I realise now that I've always lived with anxiety. I just didn't know what it was. So before I did this, I used to work as a support worker. And the majority of that was working with people with mental health problems. Um, and I used to support people with anxiety, like crippling anxiety. Um, and I just always thought I was an overthinker. I, I, I used to joke and say that I've come from a long line of warriors. Warriors, not warriors. <laughs> warriors. Um, and I just thought that's what it was. I just used to worry all the time. Like I couldn't, if I wasn't worrying about something, I'd be worrying about why I wasn't worrying about something. Um, and I just thought that's what it was. And then, yeah, when I had my daughter, in May 2016 uh yeah just shit seriously hit the fan and uh it's really really difficult though because you look up your symptoms and you think is it postnatal depression is it this is it that and it's really hard because a lot of it is just you're tired you're exhausted you have no sex drive might not really have an appetite you're feeling depressed don't have any energy to to do anything um, and it's like, yeah, is that postnatal depression or is that just because I've just had a baby? Um, and yeah, spoke to my doctor a few times and in the end he put me forward for, um, for an assessment for some um, kind of formal support with our IAP service. And she just come out with it as if it was something that I already knew, you know, it was like, you know, so have you, have you, have you, um, have you thought about getting any help for your anxiety? I was like, oh, have I got anxiety then? I didn't realise. I just, wow. Um, So, yeah, I'd always had it. And then it just kind of amplified and crystallised when I had my daughter. Yeah, it's that big change, isn't it? So I I would describe myself exactly the same way. You know, a worrier, an overthinker. I didn't know what anxiety was because I thought I just thought these were like really weird personality traits you know hide them from people right um but then yeah when a baby comes in the picture that's because then what you're worrying about is actually important so a lot of anxiety is worrying about stuff that doesn't really matter you just make it matter but with a baby that shit matters right so it just takes those anxious feelings and just wow that just sends them off into into space yeah did kind of when you thought more about anxiety when you learned more about it did you look back at your life and go, oh, yeah, so many things make sense now? Oh, absolutely. As I say, I come from a long line of warriors, not warriors. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah, my nan, God bless her. She was, yeah, she was a, a massive warrior and my mum still is. Um, and then you see it and you think, right, this it's stopping now. Like, my daughter is not going to follow this line of you know crazy train um we're gonna we're gonna nip this in the bud right now I don't want her to have to start yeah worrying about just the most stupid things um but it's inevitable we, we, we well I say we I don't know if guys really do it but women we become our mothers despite the fact that we must you know we resist and we fight and we deny it for years oh I was only talking about this literally yesterday with somebody um and it's yeah it just happens it just happens but yeah it was it was there is there is a certain level of reassurance when you look back and you do see the traits and the patterns of behavior and you think 
oh wow oh yeah so this has been here for a while okay this is yeah this isn't this isn't new this has been hanging around for a while um and then it all kind of makes sense you can kind of pin it on things and with that comes a bit of closure and acceptance I suppose yeah yeah definitely even like when I first started to understand anxiety even though it didn't really change anything it did bring a certain amount of peace just kind of yeah. like all right I know what this is and I always think anxiety because it's such a commonplace thing in the men like anxiety and depression in the mental health conversation they're like the poster children right that's the yeah. that's the acceptable easy thing you know in quotation marks to talk about but anxiety is so misunderstood mm. it's really really un- and, and there's so many different um types and it manifests yeah. in so many different ways and i think so many people are, are really anxious and have no idea that they're anxious and it, it there's even some positives to it like for me it's a bit of a superpower you know like if you want something done give it to me i'll get it done and if I say I'm going to do something, I don't say I'm going to do much because I know where I take it. But if I say I'm going to do something, put your mortgage on it. It will happen. It will happen. Do you have like hyper focus type thing? Yeah. Yeah. And I can channel and I feel like I can see every angle <laughs> because mm-hmm. I could just overthink in, in that way. That's my particular version. But, um, you know, some people get nervous about different things, don't they? And some people feel anxious in different situations. And it's so individual um it's like it's really tricky to pin down I think anxiety once you really kind of like drill down into it Mm. yeah absolutely yeah like you say it can it can present in in so many different ways I remember when I was supporting somebody um who used to live in supported housing because of their mental health and she said to me you know do, do you experience anxiety and I thought well as I understand it no you know this is before I had Nancy and uh and she was like, you know, you've got, you've just got no idea what I'm going through. You've got no idea what it's like to live my life and and, and how challenging it can be. Um, and I've I've often thought back to her and thought, I really wish that I could say, do you know what? I was, I was, I was living with anxiety. I just didn't realise it. Just my anxiety presents and manifests in a completely different way that yours does. Um, but it can also be as debilitating as yours um but just at different times yeah yeah very much so so after your um you saw your doctor and they mentioned anxiety for the first time kind of where did you go from there mate how did you go back to kind of getting to a place of wellness from from there I was already on medication and um and that was starting to make a difference um but I knew that I wanted the tools to be able to kind of get this beast under control rather than simply relying on meds and then okay when I come off the meds if I come off the meds how am I going to manage um and so um what happened I did counseling they put me forward for counseling um and it was didn't really work for me it just I mean it was only about 10 sessions and it just started to get things out into the open. I kind of opened Pandora's box with it, I suppose. Um, but whatever kind of um, discipline or you know model that particular therapist was was utilising, it didn't really work for me. There was no real conversation. Um, I didn't feel supported. I had a couple of aha moments, as you say, 
Um, but overall, I didn't feel that it was massively helpful. Um, and so afterwards, when I had my sessions, they said, um, you know, you are uh, eligible to carry on with this CBT training online. And I thought, oh, that's amazing. Uh, because when I was screened, that was right. When I was initially assessed, they said, do you want counselling or do you want CBT? And I thought, no, I need to, I, I need to talk. I've just got a lot of shit to say. Um, so, yeah, I had my sessions. And then they said, you know, you can still access the CBT training online. And it was brilliant. It was really, really good. Again, I was talking only the other day about some of the some of the different tools and techniques that, that we were taught and what works for me and what works for, for my friend. Um, and that was. But again, I felt like the counselling only just kind of it was like the tip of the iceberg. It really, really was. There was a whole host of fucking, you know, craziness going on underneath that needed to be that needed to be looked at, which is still being looked at. Um, so I then <clears throat> I wanted to go on to private therapy, but I was told that I needed to wait because I'd gone from having my 10 free sessions straight onto CBT. And then I was talking about having like, paying for private counseling. And they said that, you know, that I think they were worried about a certain level of dependency. So they said, leave it three months and then kind of see how you do. And yeah, October hit and I thought, no, I still need to. Yeah. So, um, yeah, started my therapy with my therapist. What's up, therapist? If you're listening, you know who you are. <laughs> um, and she has just been an absolute rock. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still having my sessions with her now. Uh, uh, looking at rounding off because I feel like I feel I've come to a natural close with it. Yeah, I feel like I've come to a to a natural end with things. Um, Mate, that's a lovely um conclusion to arrive at, right? Yeah, that's really. Really yeah. Nice. yeah it's scary though I mean so I, did, I did kind of want to say two things that were kind of opposite end of the spectrum so um I've got a friend who um really could do with some counseling but they are refusing um because they had a not particularly helpful first experience of counseling and that's just put them off they just don't want to, they don't even want to think about it. They don't want to give it another try. And I've said, you know, you could have, you just didn't really gel with that particular counsellor. It could have been the approach that they were using. It could have been your mindset at the time. There's a whole host of different reasons as to why that didn't work then and why it may well work now. So for anybody listening, guys, gals, whoever, if you have had therapy before and it was less than amazing, don't rule it out. Give it another try try another therapist give it another go you, you owe it to yourself just yeah yeah give it another go um and then equally so if you're worried about building up dependencies and um you know being able to cope without your therapist it is scary because it's nice being able to have that fortnightly you know if any shit goes down and you think oh christ i need to talk about this you know that you've got that person who isn't just going to tell you what you want to hear you know that they're going to challenge you on things um and it is I am nervous about ending things with her but I know I know that it needs to be done and I know that I'm ready yeah yeah exactly yeah and that is um it's like yeah it's, I always think that's really interesting I've had a lot of breaks um in therapy I like to kind of like do a big chunk of work and then just go away and try and let it sink in 
Yeah. You know, because I think if I just stayed in it all the time, you're just working all the time. You're never like processing the lessons as it, yeah. as it were, you know? Yeah. And then, yeah, getting to a time and with the therapist that really helped me when I was sick. Um, I was see, I was chatting to Sean for like three years and we just got to a point where it was kind of like, you know, we're, we're done, you know, we're done. And then I had six months off and I thought, you know, I'm not done, but I think I need a different approach. Mm -hmm. So I found a new therapist and I'm like currently like, you know, just digging around with some other stuff and, you know, we can do that too, right? You can kind of, uh, you can dip in and out. You can always go back. You can find someone else. Someone once said, and I can't remember who said it or whether it was on my podcast or someone else's or somewhere, but someone said finding a therapist is like dating. Mm. You just got to try and meet a few therapists and chat to a few people. And then one time there'll be like a little spark and you'll think I've found, you know, I found Absolutely, this person. Yeah. I mean, with um, well, particularly with paid therapy, you do, you get like a half an hour free assessment because at the same time, your therapist is going to want to make sure that they feel that they can support you. You know, they're not going to want to invest their time and effort into you if they don't think that they can support you or if you're not, if you don't strike the right kind of vibe. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely speed speed date your therapist no that didn't come out right you know what I'm saying (laughs) yeah I know exactly what you're saying yeah no that's um yeah that's really cool and it's not yeah it's nice that you can kind of yeah find that peace and think no I'm all right to to go on my own it's a bit like um you know when you learn to drive right like if you had to if you were going on holiday and you were going to drive on a foreign motorway you wouldn't like bring your driving instructor on holiday with you you'd have to say no I've got the tools this is scary yeah. but I know I can do it and I'm gonna to yeah. have to have a go right it's the same uh same oh, sort man of you are brilliant with these analogies you're just <laughs> good yeah absolutely absolutely and it is yeah I mean even just when it comes to passing your test you know I oh Christ it took me five attempts to pass my test and you know, once you've you've got that certificate to say you are safe, you are a competent driver, but it is, it's the first time that you go out on your own. Oh yeah, it's terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. yeah. But um yeah, it's I don't know, therapies. It's really, really fascinating. I've, there's a lot of stigma around therapy, right? I'm really open about this. Huge. I, I'll, I'll say to anyone, they say like, oh, what are you doing Wednesday? I say, oh, I can't, you know, I can't do that. I'm in therapy. And like the reactions are quite, you know, some people are a bit like, oh, oh, is everything okay? Or, you know, like yeah. people either panic or yeah. don't want to talk about it at all. Or we'll just instantly start talking about how great therapy is and we just have a big therapy loving. But um, yeah. it's, it's, it's very misunderstood, isn't it? It's certainly when I went to therapy, I didn't know what I was really getting into or what I was doing. I just knew the media standard of it. I didn't know um, what to expect. But it's, um, it's tough as well, isn't it? It's therapy's tough. It is. This is what I always say. If, you, if you're not exhausted at the end of therapy, you're, you're doing it wrong. You know, you've got to be like I do. I come out of my sessions and I'm in the car yawning on my way back home because I'm just completely and utterly kind of wrung out with it. Um, don't get me wrong. I look forward to the majority of my sessions. I really do. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And then after I call it my therapy hangover. That's how I feel. It afterwards. is. Like, it yeah. really, really is a therapy hangover. Yeah. Um, yeah. My therapist will often say to me, right, so, you know, don't, especially when we were kind of doing things over Zoom during um, COVID, she'd say, you know, just uh, give yourself half an hour. You know, if you've got other things to do, just give yourself half an hour, go for a fag or just let it settle. And um, yeah. 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 You do. You do. So where after that, how does um, reach out start to um, start to evolve? Where did that come from? Where did that that spark? 
Reach Out for Mental Health came about after I lost a colleague to suicide in 2015. Um, took a little while to get underway. Um, I did have Nancy in between that time, but do you know what? She wasn't, well, it's going to get complex now. She wasn't one of the reasons, she wasn't a cause for delay. Um, it was because of all of the bullshit bureaucracy and um, attitudes around supporting somebody who's suicidal. So this was before the um, out of hours cafes and sanctuaries and all the out of hours provision that we have now was available. And I knew that I wanted to open an out of hours crisis cafe that was gonna be run by volunteers with their own experience of supporting somebody else that had struggled or maybe they've had their own struggles. And <clears throat> I was just met with brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. Um, I mean, even overtly rude, dismissive, um, unprofessional remarks around the fact that I, you know, I'm not a mental health nurse, I'm not a counsellor, I don't have any mental health qualifications. So what on earth would I know? How am I safe to support somebody who is suicidal? Who was um who was saying those things, Kirsty? Was that from like um, funding or governing bodies or what was um? No, that was from uh, I don't want to name them, name them and shame them. Yeah, uh, but a few. Well who specifically was it from? <laughs> you know who you are. Um, yeah, a few. Uh, so a very well-known mental health charity based in Thurrock. Um. Other branches of said mental health charity have been amazingly supportive, um, which just goes to show if you had a, if you have a bad experience with a service and they have other tranches available, give those a try because yeah, don't don't um, don't let one bad experience kind of um, rule all the other support out for you. Um, so yeah, wanted to basically I approached them and said, this is what I want to do. I want to speak to people who are, you know, going through their own shit to get their ideas of what they feel that they need. Um, and she just weren't having a bar of it because I'm not a mental health professional. She just wouldn't even entertain it. Wow. Um, I got laughed at. No, I didn't. Did I get laughed at? Kind of. Yeah, it was kind of like a titter and a, an eye roll. Um, I went to an MD, uh, multidisciplinary team meeting at, fuck it, yeah, Bazardin Hospital. Um, it was the uh, crisis team. No, not the crisis team. It was the, they were called the RAID team. I'm not sure if they still are now. Um, and I wanted to talk about having some joint up working. So for individuals that would present to AE that were feeling suicidal, basically, for those that they felt that they couldn't support so if they were just gonna um if they weren't going to admit them if they were just going to bounce them back to the community i was going to say right make a referral to us as well as to the samaritans as well as to the crisis team blah 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 let's get a real kind of wraparound support going on but also for the people that turn up and they're under the influence of whatever they're left to sober up they won't be i think they're triage but they won't be assessed or spoken to until they've sobered up um which is bollocks because nine times out of ten they'll just walk off um you know they, they might go through with their plan they might not so I said you know we'll we'll talk to them you know as, as long as we can have a conversation with them as long as they're fairly coherent you know we can we can talk to them and uh that, that you could see the team um 
in this team meeting they were like all looking at each other like oh my god this is great like you could almost see the relief like oh my god our caseload is going to reduce by so much this is amazing and then the uh the um like the lead psychiatrist that was on duty for that day he was basically going over <coughs> excuse me what it is that we do and reiterating the fact that I don't have any qualifications and said so all you do is talk to them I said, yeah yeah right okay I don't well yeah he was literally like, wow, what good is that going to do? What good is that going to do? So, yeah, I left. That really fucked me up for a couple of weeks, to be fair. Um, because it is, it's just, it's one thing when someone's dismissing you in, in that kind of environment, it makes you feel shit. But also it was just like another slap round the face, wake up realization of the enormity of this battle that we have with changing fucking perceptions and attitudes around how to support someone, who can support somebody yeah. suicidal. What does a suicidal person need? How much of a risk actually are they? Because they're not, you know, it was, God, when I first started out, we had, I had to have cameras in place um, to, to, to uh, record kind of what was going on. Um, myself and all of my volunteers had to have these safety devices so that if anything kicked off, we could press a button and like 5.0 would be on the way. And this was all screaming to me like, this is no, this is just ridiculous. This is not needed. But I could not even get it off the ground without all of that. Nobody would even entertain the idea. So I was like, okay, we'll have it. Well, we ain't going to need it, but we'll have it. So we had the cameras up. We had like the little plaques to say, you know, you are on CCTV. Um, you know, we had our little devices. They were kept out of sight and, you know, quite discreet. Again, never had to use them. Um, but it was just that, that kind of, you know, just having those conversations with people and just say, you know, they, they want to kill themselves, not me or yeah. my volunteers. Like, ah, oh. and it's, there is still this idea of scary suicidal people going around with an axe. Yeah. It's like, you know, we don't live in a Hollywood movie. The, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating and upsetting to think of that level of, level of stigma coming from inside the system yep so you kind of get it if no one if you've never had anything to do with mental health and you've kind of like watched a load of movies where the serial killer has always got schizophrenia because that's just you know that's just what happens right and uh you, you can kind of get why there's stigma because if you don't know you don't know right that's just that's just fine but to have that from inside the system these are the people that are supposed to be helping and it doesn't sound like they really understood the people that they were helping yeah wow that's a lot i can see why that was frustrating and upsetting mm -hmm. and um that must have been hard maze but you've um you persevered though that must have that must have took a lot to kind of say no i'm gonna go back in or i'm gonna find another way around or that's like um you know that shows how much of a shit that you give about what that you do to because it'd be very easy to go oh well i'm not doing that again yeah absolutely because it was it was like for a long time, when I was looking at setting it up, whatever it, whatever it was that it was going to be, I wasn't entirely sure what it was going to look like. I knew sure as shit what it weren't going to be. 
Um, and I had a vague idea of kind of what, what I wanted it to look like and what I wanted it to offer. But um, yeah, it was, it was just, I couldn't believe that nothing like this was available. I kept researching and like, it's just, it was just so simple. It's so cocking simple. Why is this not available? Um, and then you realize because there's just so many people that just want to get in the way. There is so, people are so risk averse and too, there's this whole kind of <clears throat> um, fear of blame and responsibility and um, being held accountable if, if something goes wrong. There is so much of that in the way that people are actually afraid of doing something. So like during COVID, we wanted to do um, walk and talks and it would be, you know, people, I say lone working, the idea behind a walk and talk is that you meet in the public space. So you're not on your own, but you wouldn't be with another volunteer. You wouldn't be in an office building or anything like that. And yeah, again, the risk assessment that I had to do for that, you know, like dealing with potentially at risk people in a public environment. And it's like, fuck me, where do you think these people are? They're walking about you. You're standing behind them in a queue in Morrison's. They're filling up their car with petrol next to you now. Just, oh, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can see yeah. the frustration coming out of me. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to hear, you know, and all you want to do is help people. And all we hear all the time is how many people need help. Yeah. You know? And then you're saying, well, let's do something about this. And suddenly no one wants to, no one wants to know. Yeah. yeah. How, how did you get past that? How did you get it started? How, what was like the first, um, I don't know, the first evolution of, of Reach Out for Mental Health? What did that look like? So the first kind of, yeah, the, f the first kind of uh, inclination, I suppose. of, of Ink, that's uh, the word I was looking for. Word, um, was, it was a out of hours crisis cafe type thing um, at Hardy Park in Stanford La Hope. And it was the wonderful Rob Groves who um, heard me um, Basically, I went to this thing for social entrepreneurs where you pitch an idea and you get funding and that kind of thing. And um, and yeah, it gave my idea and everybody loved it. And I just said, you know, I just need a venue and nobody was, you know, nobody was really up for supporting me. And Rob got it. He understood it. And he was like, you can use this space free of charge. You know, it's not used in the evening. This is a fantastic and much needed thing. Let anything I can do to help. Let's go for it. And yeah, so that was the first place that it was held. I had three volunteers, Terry, Doreen and Linda. Doreen and Linda are still with us today. Um, and we didn't have any clients. We didn't have anybody. It was really, really tricky um, for a few reasons. So we started out in October. Um, it was an out of hours service. So it would run from six till nine. It was dark. It was in a, a park that nobody really knew about unless you lived in Stamford or Corringham or kind of in the surrounding areas. And um, yeah, and again, you know, despite advertising it, nobody really came. And oh God, I remember the first time we opened. So I kind of, I put the word out. I advertised it on Facebook. I advertised it to um, our uh, local area coordinators, which were like, the kind of low-level social workers and I just thought I'm going to open this door and there's going to be a queue of people as far as the eye can see that are going to want to come in and just like nobody came nobody came 
And I was really like, I don't understand. There is a need for this. We know there are people out there. Why aren't they coming? What's going on? Um, so just kept pushing it and pushing it and yeah, just nobody came. So in the end, we changed venue to a more um, central location in Greys. Um, it was more accessible. It was like, you know, right on the, like, um, right on the high street. And we started to get referrals. That started to pick up some speeds and kind of word got around and teams would tell other teams that, you know, there's this, there's this um, service available, which was, which was lovely. Um, <laughs> and then I, re <laughs> I remember one of our guys, we got, we got an email saying that one of our regular guys that used to come in, we had like a, a kind of like a safeguarding <laughs> to say that, so this guy is, um, you know, he's, he shouldn't be seen alone. He needs to be seen like two to one. Why is that? We punched a psychiatrist. I was like, hey, that's fine. That's, do you know what? He won't punch us. It's absolutely fine. Um, <laughs> because I can just understand how that, how that conversation went. And um, yeah, you know, it, there's a little voice in my head that says some psychiatrists need to be punched. Maybe they do. Controversial, I know. But, <laughs> you know, I've said it. It's out there. Um, yeah. So, and, and again, that was just, you know, he was written off. He was, you know, signed off for support um, because he was seen as too high risk and blah, blah, blah. He still came into us. He engaged really well. He supported other people that came in. He was fine, you mm. know, because we treated him with respect as an equal, um, you know, put him in control. He told us what he wanted to tell us. We didn't go digging for things. Um, yeah, and that's 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 the difference that's that's how you manage risk you know yeah. That, but, yeah. <laughs> but environment is huge isn't it you At know and I, really I always say them. I always say about the the men's mental health conversation is it predominantly men that you work with Kirsty am I right in uh no sadly we need to but yeah it's um it I kind of think that we're always telling men that they can't speak that's the message right so men don't talk men don't talk men don't talk and I kind of, I, I get that and I get why we say that. But then I think, well, is, the, is it that men don't talk? Is it that we keep telling them that they don't? You know, we're like reinforcing a message there for a start. And then is it more about like people don't know how to listen? Yes. And we don't have the spaces to talk in. You know, because I kind of think of the mental health conversation, it's a bit of an echo chamber, right? So me and you, we could sit here for three hours saying like, men don't talk, men need to speak, all of this stuff. That wouldn't change anything. We've just got two people with very similar um, views, just banging the same drum, right? We need to, if you dig in a little bit different, I think, I think, kind of think men, they're a lot better at talking than we give them credit for, for a start. Is that, am I kind of on the right track with that in your experience, Kirsty? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it was, I didn't realise this. It, um, I was um, taking part in a workshop with um, bugger, Ellen O'Donoghue. So she is, I think she's the CEO or she's, uh, she's got some really big title for an amazing service called um, James's Place, which is a, uh, a place of sanctuary and support specifically for men that are feeling suicidal. So they are all about the guys and yeah she ran a workshop during covid about how best to reach 
these so-called hard to reach, hard to engage groups. Um, you know, as we know, men make up an enormous proportion of, of suicides that are completed. Um, and it was her that first kind of made this suggestion that, yeah, maybe, maybe they are screaming out for help, but just in different ways, in ways that we're not used to, in using language and, um, you know, nonverbal cues and, you know, just, they're just communicating in a completely different way that we're used to responding to. And from that made my head absolutely, I'm sorry, that made my head absolutely spin. Um, and there are just so many things that she said that were huge light bulb moments. And it is really important that we stop, like you say, using, using phrases like that, because we are just constantly reinforcing that, I think. And this is a lovely little segue into a campaign that we're doing, which which this is this is really going to work out quite well. Um, so what Reach Out for Mental Health are doing, if I may do a little. Go for it. Yes, please. Is um, we're launching a campaign called Man Down. And the idea behind it is to kind of shine the light on some of the more subtle ways that men might be screaming out that they're not coping to the I'm going to say predominantly women in the relationships but basically anybody who's got a man in their life who they're concerned about so for argument's sake you and your wife so when you were going through your your your, your depression and your anxiety if and again, I don't know if this is if this is um, how you presented, but um, you know, you could have been really short and moody with a, you know, not very attentive, you know, might not have wanted to be particularly intimate for a number of weeks or maybe months, um, not sleeping particularly well, drinking more. Um, if you used to go out down the pub and meet your mates for a couple of drinks, but now you're just getting drunk at home, um, not engaging with the family, not going out and participating in normal events and social occasions that you normally would. So for a spouse or a partner, it's really hard to stomach that. And, yeah. you know, particularly when you're taking the role of parent as well, it's really easy to go, oh, for fuck's sake, Tom's doing my head in. Like, he's just, oh, he's been a complete dick. He's just getting pissed all the time. He comes home from work moody, he don't talk to me, we haven't had sex in weeks, he's not even reading to the kids anymore. I just, ah, oh, do you know what? I don't, yeah, I think, I'm not sure what's going on here, but I don't know how much more I can take of it. That's kind of the knee-jerk reaction. That's mm. normally how we would um, respond to a situation like that. And what the Man Down campaigning, campaign is about is just kind of look a little deeper and take a breath and there might be something more serious going on. It's quite likely that there is something more serious going on. Um, and just to start that conversation. So it's a bit of a Trojan horse into suicide prevention. If, yeah, if, if, if men aren't comfortable with coming forward and openly disclosing that they're struggling, if we can equip people um, with the know-how of some of the signs to look out for, 
and having the confidence to be able to start that conversation. Sounds cliche, but I really think we can start saving some serious lives. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. That that man you just described then, or that person, that human being you just described then, um, tell that person to talk. They ain't going to talk. You know, you're not going to, that's that's not how it works, right? That's not good. But yeah, like you say, if you can open that door in a different way, mm. if you can, uh, yeah, find a way to way to start that conversation, start a way to hear that conversation. Because I think a lot of, for a lot of people, they're scared to have the conversation because they don't know what to do with that information. Oh, it's yeah. like I want to be there for you but I don't know how to get you because if you open that door I don't know what I'm going to do with it you know yeah. and I, it's like it's scary from both sides isn't it it's really scary from both sides but yeah that sounds wonderful yeah wonderful when's that starting up mate you kind of putting that together working on it at the moment we are working on it at the moment um so we uh we're hoping to launch no we will be launching for um world suicide prevention day on the 10th of September um, but we are looking at doing a soft launch at a festival in South End next Friday. Oh, lovely! Yeah. Oh, sick. anybody listening from South End, come down and see us. Yeah, there you go. Is that like um? So is that going to be around like talking about these things, or or like training, or presentations, or speakers, or how's the what's the setup for for this Man Down program? So what we're looking at doing is securing some funding so we can offer training. I'd say at least once a month, maybe once a fortnight, maybe once a week. If the demand is there, we will do everything that we can to um, fill that demand. And along with that, we're going to be, so at the South End Festival, <clears throat> what we're looking at doing is having around a thousand postcards that are all going to have um, postage paid. And we're just going to be encouraging people to come forward and just send a postcard to somebody that they might be concerned about or somebody that they haven't checked in on in a while because we always there's there's so many campaigns that like you know check in on that mate and ask twice and you know just send a text to someone that you've been you know that you might not have spoken to in a little while when was the last time you received a postcard <laughs> no, yeah years decades bloody love yeah. a postcard yeah um, and it's just something different about having something that's like tactile and it's, yeah. you know, someone's actually made the effort to write a postcard and post it um, and having that memento in your home. I just think it's, you know, it just, it just makes me happy. And when, the, you know, the people that I've spoken to about what we're looking at doing, they're like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah that's cool. Something so nice about it. Yeah. yeah and it's so also, simple. Yeah. And it's so easy to disregard a text, even if someone sends it twice, you know, but like a physical thing, even if, even if someone was to see that and go, oh, I don't know what this is about and put it on the side like subconsciously having a physical tangible thing that has arrived through your door that's a different story so it's it's not just about what's going on when you first see it yeah it's about this little seed that that plants right it because does. you delete a text it's gone that ain't planting no seeds but yeah like an actual physical thing like yeah. there's something there's something in that I think that's wonderful yeah that's really yeah cool. and I think like so, so when you're on your phone you could be you could receive a text a text not a whatsapp again you know everybody just prefers whatsapp and just by having your phone you've got so many other distractions on there so you could get that text um and then another a whatsapp comes through or you get a notification about something or somebody might ring you or you might be checking your emails so already there's so many different things that can just you know take your attention away from receiving that text and that feeling that warm fuzzy Aww. is just gone in a in a moment Whereas that postcard, it is, it's going to, it's going to hang around for longer. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really, um, really lovely idea. Yeah. And I, I think so much like the key to the, 
the wider mental health conversation. And it's something that, you know, that you guys do really, really well is like, I always think when people want to get more active in mental health, we always think about the big picture, right? How can I like make this noise? But we've got to look at you. There's plenty of people already doing that. Let's look at our local community, right? Because that's where these, that's these numbers, these statistics that the massive organizations say, this is what's happening. They're people in the local communities. Mm. And I think we can focus so much, can't we, on, um, you know, oh, how can I uh, do stuff on social media and how can I make this noise and how can I do this? But it, it's like looking around and saying, what does, what does my local community need? What do yeah. the people in this community, the people that are like friends of friends and, you know, distant family and all that sort of stuff, that's, that makes the difference. And I think that's a, a, a way maybe why people do fall down, down the cracks because everyone's so busy raising big awareness, telling people that they don't talk. And in the meantime, not loads is changing on the ground, you know, mm. with the people that make up those statistics. Mm. Yeah. And that's the, yeah, that's, that's where we're hoping to, to make that change. Um, yeah. Just, just little ripples rather than, you know, massive big waves. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh mate. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. What a great idea. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I'll happily, uh, you know, sing about that from the, from the rooftops when it, um, when it rolls out. Yeah. Keep me, um, keep me posted, mate. Yeah, yeah definitely. And we've got to have a little chat about your, um, uh, the podcast that kind of runs alongside the work that you do with reach out the podcast yeah. that you got with, uh, Mr. Stuart Whiffin. How did that come about? Mate? Um, so Stu, so Stu and I have known each other for years and years and years just very very um kind of informally and then um yeah I'd, I'd managed to secure some funding for um someone to do our comms kind of marketing side of things and that's something that he's very very good at and so I, I sent him a message saying look you know I've got I've got you know have you got a few hours a week that you can help us out with um our social media you know and anything else that you think could be helpful so we had a chat and already he was just bubbling with with so many ideas what he wanted to do and, and he talks about doing a podcast and I've gone so there's already loads of mental health podcasts like I don't really see the point in doing another one and you could see his face was like what what, what? <laughs> so um yeah and I was like oh yeah we could do we could do one I suppose you know just kind of see what that does um and so I did, I went on Hardcore Listing with him and Chris. And, you know, we had so many amazing comments come through from that one. Um, you know, we got, he got a, you know, a nice number of, of listens, views. I don't know what the bloody terminology is. And, uh, and yeah, and I thought, okay, let's, let's just give it a go. So we did, we did one and then we did another one <laughs> and then um he got uh Scroobius pip very very kindly came on and uh did a podcast with us um all about film and uh mental health and mental well-being and that kind of vibe um and it's just kind of rolled on from there so we wanted to have a theme we wanted to have a guest that kind of ran alongside a particular theme um and it's just organically developed and become its own its own kind of animal really and yeah it, it really really enjoy it I really I, I was so awkward and anti doing anything like that um but I love it now and just hearing Stu and you know his it just makes it so easy and he just opens people up like yeah he's a crafty bastard isn't he like, he really really is yeah but he's just so easy to talk to <clears throat> because he is genuinely one of the nicest guys on the planet. 
um, and just really lucky to, to have him working with us. Yeah, yeah, that's a no, I second that wholeheartedly. Have you found that, you know, with your work, that it, speaking to different people kind of has like influenced the way that you see that the work you're trying to do with reach out? Because I know I speak to all different types of people and um, I kind of, for a long time, I'll kind of think something kind of works in this way. And then someone will have an idea and I'll think, oh, that's bloody fantastic. Maybe it doesn't work in that way. And it, like the more people I speak to, the the picture of how I understand not just my own mental health, but the whether it's the conversation, whether it's campaigning or activism or charity or whatever, the more people we speak to, the more voices that are involved, it it really kind of like it's it's fascinating and it's it's really useful, isn't it, to hear these different perspectives and ideas. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, you know, because I had such a hard time getting it off the ground to start with. Um, so even down to the point where when I first created Reach Out for Mental Health, I didn't want it to be a charity because I knew that I wanted to run it. I knew that I would need to be paid to do it. I couldn't do this and do I tried working alongside running Reach Out for six months and just and nothing worked. And so I didn't want it to be run by trustees because it was such a new idea and I'd had so much resistance from it I thought if I hand this over to trustees who don't get it who don't have the same kind of vision and kind of ethos and philosophy as me this is just going to become another completely useless risk averse pointless service and so I created it to be a, um, a community interest company because I knew I needed to be the driving force to carry on to keep kind of ramming through those barriers um, and only when I was confident that I had proven my point and kind of earned my place at the table and had enough evidence behind me to say, this is what we're doing. We've got, it works. You know, we haven't had anybody kill themselves. We haven't had anybody try and kill us. You know, maybe try this, you know, look at, look at what we're doing. It's working. Um, and so I was really kind of reluctant to listen to anybody else because I was just for fear that they were going to say, no, 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 we need, we need to be more like this. And, you know, we need to be more safe and uh, we need to do more formal assessments and ask for lists of medication. And, you know, we can't have self-referrals. They need to come from a doctor and blah, blah, blah. And it was just, you know, I was terrified that it was going to look like something like that. And so very happy to say that literally about a month ago now, we um, we achieved charity status. Um, so I have, yeah, it's 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 wonderful to be recognised as a charity and to achieve that charity status because it's bloody hard work. But for me personally, it's such a milestone to show that, you know, I've been able to relinquish that control, that I've been able to hand over the reins to other people. It's nice that I've been able to do that for myself, but the fact that I've been able to do that shows that it's only because I've been able to prove what we do works that I've been able to do that, if that makes sense. Yeah, completely. Um, yeah. And that's that's fucking awesome. It really, really is, because it does show the growth and the change and the development in not just not just our service, but just across the board. Again, we are making we are making little ripples and attitudes are changing and you know, even down to the um the respect and the weight now that things like peer support have mm. you know it used to be this tokenistic thing where okay we're running this project okay let's get somebody with lived experience in so we could tick that box now it's like you know and, and no and they wouldn't be paid for it you know we'd get somebody in to give us their their experience 
you know, all right, okay, you've come, you know, we've consulted you for an hour, off you pop, off you fuck, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now it's like, no, do you know what? We're going to, we've got we, somebody with lived experience, we're going to pay you £25 an hour and we're going to consult you to shape and co-produce this entire project. Like, that is just, like, you know, the conversation that I had with you not 20 minutes ago with that fucking psychiatrist, you know, having these conversations now, it's like... We have come so far. There is still a hell of a lot more to do, but that is just awesome. Yeah. And it's important to talk about because it's so yeah. easy to get caught up in the negative, caught up yeah. in what's left to do. And, you know, you only have to spend half an hour on, on Twitter and, it's, you know, scrolling through the, the doom and the gloom and you kind of come away from it and you think, oh, we're all fucked. No one's yeah. helping. No one cares. No yeah. one talks. No one's this, no one's that. And you can kind of feel miserable. And, you know, when you, we kind of flip that on its head a little bit and thinking, no, look, look how much it's changed. Yeah. Look, and yes. Okay. Things do still need to change. There's nothing like, you know, we're working on it. Right. You know, it's a, mm. uh, yeah. Look how much has changed. Look how much, look how effective this is. And the, the more options there are for people. Right. Because yeah. I think previously you go back a few years, it was either, you know, you do this, this, or this, and that's it. Well, humans don't work like that. Some people need to talk. Some people need to watch. Some people need to text some people, you know, like it's uh, it, the, the more different variations of things, the more people are going to find what they need to be able to start getting the, the help that they, that they need and that they deserve. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the fact that there's so much more, non-clinical support available now you know before it was very much the the kind of sage green walls and uh you know and the the kind of sage green and pink printed couches and um clipboards and oh, just so bloody sterile and wanky beyond belief yeah that's it yeah and, i mean you've yeah. got that stigma people are worried about getting dosed up on meds and sections well if every time they have any sort of mental health interaction it's in a like a clinical environment well it's yeah. only going to feed that narrative isn't it mm. yeah i mean i mean that's that i think um the first few times i spoke to somebody and they were saying that you know they were afraid to talk to their doctor because <clears throat> they were afraid that they were going to be sectioned and i kind of laugh like well ah! Like, do you have any idea how hard it is to get sectioned or even to, you know, to go in voluntarily? Um, you know, like my mate, Steve, who, who killed himself, you know, he was begging to be taken in on multiple occasions. He knew that he couldn't keep himself safe. And for whatever reason, whether it's literally down to a, a matter of lack of beds, I don't know, but they, they didn't take him in. Mm -hmm. And now he's not here. So, yeah, it's kind of a bit of a, I suppose that, that message can go two ways. Speak to your doctor because there's a very good chance you're not going to get sectioned. Um, but equally so, you know, if you do go to where you need for, for wanting that kind of support, you're not always going to be able to get it. So reach out to other organisations because we are here and there are loads of us. There's a small army of us. Just look for us and you'll find us. Yeah, that's, that's, to me, that's the new mental health awareness is signposting. That's, yeah. that's where I think it needs to be because there is so many, I, a few times a week, something gets sent to me or it pops up on my social media or something. And I look into it and I think they're amazing. Yeah. I've got a, a list as long as my leg of 
um, smaller organizations, charities, people doing local things in the local community that are so different to anything's out there. And no yeah. one, you know, no one outside of their, their bubble knows that, knows that it's there, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm going to try and get to them like one by one to try and, you know, spread, spread the word. Cause they're all fantastic. Yeah. But, but that's, that's the thing was, again, we, I keep going back to it, but let's not tell people they can't talk. Let's give them a nice long list of people who will happily listen <laughs> when they Absolutely. feel ready to talk, right? Let's do it that way. Absolutely, yeah. And it's, um, yeah, if, if you want to, if you are struggling and you find it hard to actually say those words, communicate in any way that you can. Um, and I think maybe the onus is on the rest of us to listen properly. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, not be scared of it. Not be scared yeah. of it. Yeah, definitely. Oh, mate, that feels like a lovely point to end on. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, to chat to you. And it's really lovely, yeah, just to see you again and to catch up and all that sort of stuff, mate. I love what you do. I think it's um absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I think it's really lovely. Thank you. No, always a pleasure to talk to you. It's like, yeah, it's like looking in a mirror sometimes with the stuff that you say. Lo- yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of that going on, a lot of that. <laughs> but if that's the same for us, it will be same for people listening, right? And again, yeah. that's why I want to talk about all these things because um, I always think, yeah, if I could have heard someone that looked a little bit like me say something that was feeling a little bit like I felt, then it would have made a lot of difference, you know? So, um, it yeah. It really does. It really yeah. does. Yeah, never underestimate the power of just being alongside somebody else who... I always say the circumstances are different, but the symptoms are the same. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really lovely way of, uh, of putting it. Yeah. I think one I've kind of been playing with, I'm quite found the words for, but so we all break in different ways, but it's the same stuff that leaks out. Right. It's like kind of playing with it like that, but yeah, yeah, it's lovely. Mate, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. big up to the proper mental podcast the proper mental podcast